It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in those coordinates plus E-L-M-N-T-F-M. And then uh, listen on your device of choice, uh, as I say, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is my pleasure to welcome our guest to the show, Marie Clements. She is here because she has a film to talk about and one uh, that uh, the National Film Board of Canada is proudly presenting, The Road Forward. Marie, it is a pleasure to have you here on the show to talk about The Road Forward. Oh, thank you so much. Great to be here. And, you know, uh, this, this is not the first uh, attempt at, at doing film work. You've got a number of projects under your belt. Quite a few films, uh, quite a few uh, uh, other projects as well. Um, now, I, I do remember seeing Red Snow uh, when, when, when that came out, and I thought that looked like a, a, a really cool film. I haven't seen it yet, though, unfortunately. That looks like a great film. Uh, why can we start there a little bit? Why were you Why were you interested in doing this project? Yeah, sure. I mean, I um, Red Snow came out uh, this fall in festivals, and we're now on iTunes, uh, mm. both the movie and the, and the original soundtrack. But um, yeah, I've been doing you know a lot of the festival run for the last few months, mm. and um, we did a digital um, online theatrical release. Mm. So it's it's been pretty full on with Red Snow, and mm-hmm. uh, I started it probably around ten years ago now. Wow! Um, and I had seen these pictures of a photo essay of a uh, Canadian, um, the Canadian Army in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and um, was just really uh, taken by the pictures of the indigenous people there, and how, in certain angles, uh, they kind of uh, reflected indigenous people here. So it, it kind of came out of that um, idea of really what would that dialogue be like uh, between these two, you know, ancient cultures that had survived uh, so many wars. Mm. And uh, really, that's that's kind of how uh, Red Snow smart, sparked. And, and I really like, you know, in the trailer, I really like the one line that I guess it's in Afghan it says, so you're on my land defending do you know which line I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, you're on my land defending your country. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's a great line. That's yeah. a great line. And and rings uh, so true with, with a lot of people, right? Absolutely, yeah. Given, given the, the state of the world, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, a little bit about, about you. You've worked uh, in many mediums as well, I see. TV, radio, live performance. And, uh, and uh, tell me a little bit about that background of yourself. How, how and when did you get started in, in which one of those mediums? Uh, well, I started out early uh, as an actor, um, as, a, as a kid, actually, and kind mm. of um, that was the big dream. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I've, I've been around it for a long time. And uh, so I started from that kind of dream. And then I went into more broadcast journalism for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then went back to my theater roots and kind of got caught in theater for a long time, mm. which I, I really love. Um, 
and then slowly made my way into TV and more documentary and, and now film and, and kind of, you know, swing back and forth between uh, uh, different disciplines, uh, depending on the story and, and how I feel it needs to be told. Right. Nice. And we appreciate you giving us that little bit of a, of a background and what you've been involved with. Now, um, The Road Forward is a documentary and I must say that it looks uh, pretty darn cool and certainly is, is something about uh, based on Indigenous music and in, Indigenous history. Um, a musicals documentary, so, that, so, so that, that's pretty cool. And talks about uh, Canadian civil rights history and Indian nationalism starting in the 1930s, I guess. So, um, so how did this one come about? Uh, well, a way long time ago now, it feels like, but uh, I had been commissioned with the uh, Cultural Olympiad back in 20, uh, I guess 2010, uh, to present the closing show, uh, a live performance of, um, at the Aboriginal Pavilion uh, at the time. Mm. And uh, so basically what they were, they were looking to kind of encapsulate was really looking at BC history, something that had uh, come from the roots here. And uh, it was fairly open, you know, depending on uh, what I wanted to do. Mm. So I came across this newspaper called The Native Voice, um, mm. uh, founded in the 1930s, and uh, really brought together um, uh, leading um, uh, Indigenous uh, activists uh, that formed this newspaper uh, with a couple, uh, the Hurleys, uh, he was a lawyer and she was an activist. And um, basically they formed this newspaper and news stringers, uh, indigenous news stringers from all over the Americas could send in their stories of what was happening in their community. You know, um, a lot of like social activism, human, uh, human rights, uh, environmental, political uh, activism at the time. So really this, this newspaper became a, a document um, that just really had the pulse on what was happening in these communities uh, in, in the Americas. So I was pretty uh, blown away by, uh, you know, sadly, um, I discovered it, which, you know, is always sad when you, uh, something's been there for decades. Um, but it was just so amazing to see uh, these activists and kind of follow, you know, be able to follow their, careers and things that they had accomplished um over a long period of time mm. um, so there was you know these these great pictures there's uh headlines there's stories that um you that you can get a personal uh take on mm. and really some of those stories and headlines um i started writing songs uh and then uh worked with uh, a lot of um indigenous composers that that i really love and uh, we built this kind of um, this major song for for the Olympics and presented it as a live performance multimedia show. Mm. And from there, um, I was talking in conversation with the National Film Board um, and producers there um, really thought it could it could be uh, a documentary of, of sorts. So we kind of worked together for a couple of years um, deeply to put together something that really spoke to the idea of how the activists, you know, my mind, these activists brought their word and the voice from their communities uh, to this newspaper. And uh, what I was trying to do was bring, um, obviously, our words and our, our voice 
um, uh, to this documentary. And it seemed natural that I collaborate with others, um, you know, leading indigenous um, composers, musicians, mm. and vocalists who are bringing their word and their voice to what is happening today. And you've got some great people involved with the show. Yeah, even uh, Wayne Lavalie uh, getting involved with the score. Yeah, absolutely. He was, uh, he, you know, he was involved from the start. So it was really great to, uh, you know, continue our collaboration over the long haul. Mm. And uh, he's also one of the featured artists and one right. of the guest composers. Yeah, yeah that, that's great. Uh, now, Jeremy James, is that, uh, is he related? Um, they think I. <laughs> they think they're cousins somewhere down the line. Uh, <laughs> you know how that goes. So. I know. I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say yes. They are. <laughs> That's great. But uh, of course, some other great names in there as well. Uh, some people uh, the very that I know from Six Nations. You got Sherry Miracle and Mary Porter in there for sure. Uh, you know, members of uh, Yulali in there as well. I see. Yeah, Jennifer Kreisberg, and uh, she's a major contributor uh, to the music, and, mm. uh, and um, Michelle St. John, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Nahanis, um, gosh, uh, Shakti Hayes, yeah, right. uh, Ronnie Dean Harris. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there was they were a pretty powerhouse group, and um, just really committed to to this story and to bring in their own stories, which I think uh, sometimes is, is um, a bit of a honor to hear uh, people's stories and, and uh, what they think about, uh, you know, the things that we were diving into in the piece. So, yeah. So let's, let's look at that a little more. So you, you present this to the musicians and I, I, you know, it makes sense. They were all, they'd all be uh, eager to get involved with this uh, just from the nature of how this is evolving. Um, But how do the performances work? Are they like, are they just like concert or, or is it more something that's organic that grew out of the idea of working on the show? Because I'm just thinking of one particular scene that was in the trailer where the women are all singing together around the table. And that looks more like just an organic moment that was happening. Yeah, I think we were uh, lucky to be able to fuse, uh, you know, both of those things into the piece. Um, originally, after I'd done, uh, yeah, I'd done the um, Olympic performance, mm. Uh, I, I built it with, you know, with everyone, uh, built it into a full-length multimedia concert piece mm-hmm. uh, that was performed in 2013 and 2015 um, uh, at some leading festivals. And I think through that, we began to understand the interplay between the, we were using a lot of the archives uh, from the newspaper uh, and using live performance and obviously uh, music and, and you know, voice and all mm. the things that come with uh, presenting something live um, that's integrated. And so really was looking um, to do that uh, in, a, in a, not a similar way, but, you know, in a more filmic way uh, for the documentary, meaning we had moments where... Um, there's uh, what we call story songs, which means these are narrative um, cinematic stories uh, told through music and told in a kind of, for lack of a better word, like a music video. Mm. So that really what we're seeing is it's just a little burst of history. Um, and uh, so that kind of takes us uh, on a journey um, 
being able to engage in the music, but also to engage in the story, which is cinematically rolling out for us, and then go back into, uh, you know, more of a, a documentary style, um, where we're seeing, you know, the real activists of the time, we're seeing the, the real performers uh, engaging in the story and the, and the ideas and commenting on it. So it was a, a you know, it was a back and forth for sure, a bit of a dance um, uh, that happened within the piece, uh, which I think came, a, came about organically, but also had, you know, deep roots and we've been layering levels of story for quite a while. So it mm-hmm. was great to be able to get to it. Mm. Uh, you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and uh, type in those coordinates plus E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, as, and also, just so you know, uh, if you would like to hear some of our previously recorded interviews uh, and segments, you can go to our SoundCloud, and they are all posted there, as will this one be uh, afterwards. And you can then uh, go and listen at your leisure, uh, again, anywhere across the country, uh, through our website or through SoundCloud. And uh, it is a pleasure to have with us here on the show, Marie Clements, and we're talking about The Road Forward. It is a, uh, a documentary uh, and a musical documentary about uh, indigenous uh, history and about uh, civil rights history in terms of and around indigenous people. Um, and Maria was telling us earlier that it came out of this uh, newspaper uh, that she saw out on the West Coast, which is where I, I guess, Marie, you're calling from today. Yes, I am. Yes. And uh, you know, I notice a lot of the a uh, lot of the artists, uh, or some of the artists, are, are West Coast based now. Mary Porter lives out there now for sure. Uh, Sherry's still around the around the Toronto and Ontario area, but um, Wayne Lavallee, uh, one of the people involved and, and involved with the score, uh, he's uh, West Coast based as well. Um, now we were talking about the 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 performance, which is great to have all these performances. By the way, how long is the show run? Uh, it's it's a feature length, I, mm-hmm. I believe, about one forty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I can't help but knowing people like Sherry. Um, you know, I'm I'm guessing a lot of these people are you know they're very motivated and they're very uh very very much uh into their their art. And uh, I'm I'm sure you must have had a lot of discussions and a lot of ideas thrown at you from everybody as as you were going through this uh, this this ordeal. Yeah, I mean, as you could tell by the list of names, I mean they're very um, accomplished mm. uh, artists um, on so many levels. But um, mm. uh, I, I think that was kind of the grace. Also, is that uh, you know one they were bringing all their skills to the to the table mm. and to the room. Mm. And um, I think our room was very electric. It was crazy and, and you know, brilliant. And mm-hmm. uh, I think another, you know, really great thing that we had going for us is that we, most of us had worked together mm. for uh, a number of years on different projects. Right. Um, so it was really great. We have a bit of a shorthand and we have a lot of trust with each other. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're also building you know, building a family um, that that could be strong because I think, you know, some of the topics and some of the things that were inside of it were hard on our hearts. And so, 
uh, I think it was really great to work uh, within a group that we trusted each other and trusted um, that that we were there for the right reasons at the right time. Yeah, and I, I think that the people that you you have involved would all uh, would all be on board with the message and and with the the kind of uh, story that you were trying to bring forward as well. Uh, I, I have a question. Um, there's a quote from the Vancouver Sun, and it says that, that the road toward reconciliation lies in the arts. Uh, can you elaborate on that in terms of this this uh, film? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, if you talk to any artist, um, I think we're kind of united <laughs> in the sense that, um, you know, you don't dedicate, uh, you know, decades or your whole life to uh, to your artistry to not believe that it, you know, that it, it has to be able to create change right. uh, in some way. Uh, and I think what we're, you know, hoping for, you know, say specifically with the road forward um, is that, you know, you really have to uh, open people's hearts so that they can hear. Um, mm. And, 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 you know, then there's a possibility that if they can hear and if they can feel um, there's an opportunity uh, for dialogue and for change. And I think, um, I think we all understand, a lot of us understand that, or all of us understand that um, as artists, but certainly uh, the individuals I were, you know, was working with on this piece, um, that is part of their, you know, how they move in the world also. Mm. Now, because you mentioned the, the, uh, the, the newspaper that you, you kind of got the idea from, and, and I noticed that there were clippings, uh, there's pictures uh, from that uh, the newspaper that you're referring to, but also I, I was wondering, um, is, there, is there any old video footage? Is there like archival stuff that you've pulled from as well? Uh, to be honest, not as much uh, video, uh, but certainly there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of photographs. Mm. Uh, and I guess it speaks to the time, you know, mm. mm-hmm. where people did take photographs uh, all the time. Uh, so, and that was the medium. So really, you know, we're seeing, you know, over 60 years of, you know, photographs uh, from the newspaper. Uh, and I think those are, those are substantial gifts, uh, because I, I think we tend to think that our histories were not documented. Um, and so it was just a real gift to see uh, a lot of these activists, you know, some, some of them at 21, and then to see them, you know, uh, five decades later in the mm-hmm. newspaper at, you know, 71. Mm-hmm. And you can really mark, uh, you know, people's uh, involvement uh, in these in these causes for for change and and for a better life and it's really inspiring like it's 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 wholly inspiring and um so it's really uh honored to be able to um you know to see to see Mm. it for myself Mm -hmm. Uh, and as i mentioned there's some some wonderful uh performances i'm sure by everyone uh, certainly in the trailer, you get to see a little bit of that. And it's always wonderful to hear those, uh, those women singing, uh, those wonderful harmonies. And, and just, uh, it, it's so beautiful. Um, now, the other thing about uh, Indigenous uh, culture is that you can't go far without a sense of humor. Uh, how is there any element of that in this documentary? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that is kind of embodied in who we are. Mm. Um, so there's that. But I do I do feel um, 
you know, looking back uh, on this piece and, and just understanding um, who was in it uh, at this time, there's a sense of pride that we feel, I think, when we see them, because uh, we understand uh, the power of our own peoples, uh, the power of our own art, and the power of our history. And I think uh, that really was what we were, we were trying to instill in people is this kind of sense of um, uh, incredible grace and um, just um, that, that everyone's still standing. And, you know, we owe that obviously to, to those that came before and the activists that worked so hard um, to allow us to be able to say what we need to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, you, you've got uh, you've got the, the sort of uh, many of the genres covered. You've got the great vocals, as I, po- I pointed out, blues, rock, and, and the traditional beats in there, and, and, and things. Uh, the interviews are with the artists themselves. Is that the interviews that we're going to hear in this, or is this with with other activists, etc.? Yeah, it's, it's with the artists themselves, but mm-hmm. also uh, the great opportunity of of morphing it, you know, into a documentary mm-hmm. was was able to go back and engage activists um, that had, you know, started from the very beginning um, of the newspaper, uh, but also kind of just, it just kind of integrated activists that had been working um, throughout the decades um, to create change. And I, I think that was, you know, part of the greatest um, gift was to be able to actually speak with these people and, uh, you know, when we sometimes when we look at something in the newspaper, you know, you're trying to capture that moment, wondering what that moment was like. Um, and I think there's something so amazing to talk with someone that was actually there mm. in that moment. So uh, a, a real gift to to understand um, their commitment and, and their vision for the future that we're living in. Mm. What would you say that that you uh, one you'd like uh, people to to come away with uh, from seeing this well that's a good question i mean i think i think what we're what we're hoping for and i i I think it's just really understanding that that our history uh is still alive and and that uh we're living proof of that and that you know the fight for rights uh is not over and Mm. Um, I think that we come from a uh, just being born indigenous. I think you know there's a a feeling that that you're born into the fight, and I think there's there's so many examples uh, of people that have done it with such intelligence and such human intelligence, and I think that's what we're carrying forward. So the road forward is really looking at um, one um, allowing us to see our own history and to celebrate that and, and to bring that into the future. Mm. And what, what did you learn from this process? What did you, uh, was there anything that was surprising to you or when you, when you, when you went through this that uh, came out to you that you weren't expecting to see maybe? Well, I think, you know, given, uh, you know, I think what it really was is that uh, I, I really wish I would have known, um, of these giants uh, when mm. I was growing up. I wish mm. I would have known the real history of our country. Um, mm. uh, and I think that's the deficit is that, you know, we were, a lot of us were brought up without the real history mm. uh, in schools, without the real history in the public domain. 
-hmm. So uh, we're reclaiming, we have to reclaim that. And I think that's, that's a bit of the sorrow is that, that we didn't know these heroes. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's, that's part of the, the, you know, amazing um, uh, just opportunity was to be able to really understand our history on this level that they were there and that they have been there, you know, uh, for such a long time. Mm. It sounds like, uh, you know, given everything that's been happening in the last couple of weeks, uh, it sounds like this is well-placed. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's, it's part of, um, you know, this ongoing, um, struggle we're having is one that's, it's been there for a long time. Mm. So I think it, it hopefully will, um, give people or hopefully uplift them, mm. uh, in this time where we're, you know, not feeling uplifted. Mm-hmm. And, and the film is going to be uh, available on nfb.ca and nfb YouTube. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, and, and is that going to be, uh, is it, it's, so it's, you can watch any time. Is it a limited time or is it just out there? It's just out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, great. That's time. Yeah. That that's great. That's great to hear. And congratulations on this and your other accomplishments prior to this as well. Thank you so much. I look forward to to watching this. I I can't help but think also, you know, just about uh, Rumble when I when I hear this as well. Yeah, you know, some some part of me thinks that there's a there's a tie in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I loved Rumble. And I think what, uh, you know, it's a little bit of the same thing. Like I walked out of Rumble feeling really proud mm. uh, of uh, Indigenous contribution to, uh, to music. Uh, and I think, I, I think we're, you know, we're reflecting on each other for sure. Mm. Mm. Great. Well, I'm just going to say, uh, Nyawa and Chimigwech for joining us and, and participating and, and taking the time to join us on the show. It was great. Thank you. The Road Forward is uh, Marie Clement's latest documentary, musical documentary on nfb.ca and NFB YouTube. So you can check it out there, The Road Forward. Please make sure you have a look at that. I sure, I'm sure you will not be disappointed once you see uh, the artists that are involved with this, uh, this production. And uh, Marie has done some fabulous stuff in the past, so I know this is going to be fabulous as well. Once again, uh, thank you to Marie for joining us here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Don't go away, though, because we'll be right back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in those coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and uh, listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, anywhere you like, right across the country. It's a pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show, uh, Michael Zara. He is the president and CEO of Drone Delivery Canada. And uh, they have a, a, one of several, I guess, interesting announcements that they have recently made. Now, Drone Delivery Canada uh, hasn't been around that long, but they're doing some really cool things. Uh, I spoke with Michael a while back when they were in the process of testing out the drones and, and getting things operational and making sure that everything was operating, making sure that uh, as 
as as drones would uh you know fly correctly getting all that kind of stuff they work they have to work uh closely with uh Transport Canada and and uh, other flight uh, people, uh, just like any other aircraft would. Uh, but uh, recently, they have uh, they have actually uh, developed some some contracts, and they're working with uh, the Beaujolais First Nation, for instance. Uh, that's I guess the latest one, uh, Michael. Is that correct? That's right. We uh, announced an agreement with the Beaujolais First Nation uh, for a COVID nineteen related drone logistics project, the first in Canada. Yeah, congratulations on that front. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And now I know I noticed from uh, the website you've you've also got a couple of other uh, things going with some some other First Nations. You know, I, I thought immediately when I thought of Beaujolais First Nation, I, I also thought of uh, Georgina Island, which is a little closer, and and they also have a ferry going back and forth uh, in Ontario, which uh, which may run into you know winter issues. I don't know if the are the drones able to fly through winter conditions as well. Yes, we can fly uh, day, night, uh, rain and snow. We've uh, spent the last few years developing the technology and, as you mentioned, getting certified with the regulator. So we're fully commercialized, operational, generating revenue and, and signing and implementing deals. And, and Michael, for those people that aren't familiar, this is fairly new. They might see them flying around in these areas, of course. Uh, but um, you, you have three different size uh, drones. That's right. There's the Sparrow, which has a capacity of about four and a half kilograms, which is about 10 pounds and a range of 30 kilometers, and it's electric. The Robin, which is also electric, has a range of about 60 kilometers and a capacity of about 11 and a half kilograms or 25 pounds. And then we jump to the Condor, uh, which is a real game changer in the industry globally. It is gasoline powered, looks like a small helicopter. And it has a range of 200 kilometers with a payload capacity of 180 kilograms or 400 pounds. Mm. When, when drones are, are in flight, when they have, you know, they're, they obviously have the flight, flight path that they're following, et cetera, et cetera, like any other uh, uh, aircraft. Um, are they monitored uh, individually? How, how are these drones uh, eventually, if it gets, you know, really busy with these kind of things, how will that all operate? So good question. We uh, fly unmanned automatically, but we have an operations control center just outside of Toronto where we can monitor any of our drones globally. So we monitor them. We monitor weather. We monitor the airspace. We monitor everything that's going on in the area where we're flying. And if there was an emergency, for instance, in the local airspace, maybe another aircraft is having an emergency, uh, we can take control of our drones manually, remotely, and do whatever we need to do to deconflict the situation. So we always ensure a, a safe airspace. Right. Uh, so, so getting back to, to the contracts and with uh, Beaujolais First Nation, uh, the idea is right now, because we're in COVID-19, that uh, this, this uh, it's a six-month contract, I understand, and what that will be doing is transporting, uh, I guess, uh, the personal protective equipment, those kind of things back and forth? That's right. Um, as a result of the pandemic, there's a, a new use case that has come to light uh, for us, and that is related to limiting person-to-person -person contact. So, as you mentioned, there are a number of uh, remote First Nations communities, some on islands, some on the mainlands, uh, but they want to self-isolate to prevent the virus to come into their community, and they are particularly susceptible to this, so they're particularly dire needs. Um, because they have underlying healthcare issues, poor healthcare infrastructure. So they're isolating 
uh, but they need to keep the supply chain open and then they want to limit person to person contact. So drone delivery is ideal use case. And I guess this is good in terms of a, a two-way communication. In terms of, say, for instance, uh, people wanted to get uh, some some uh, some testing results for COVID nineteen out of the community to see if there's someone that's testing positive. They could they could send those via drone back to the mainland. Absolutely correct. So we will be bringing in PPE and other supplies, hygiene kits, etc. But yes, we'll be bringing swabs onto the island where there's almost a thousand people and then taking those swabs back to the mainland to send out for testing for coronavirus. You're right. Would you have thought prior to COVID-19 that this, this use that you're now finding for the drones was, was in your mind? or, or, or? So, so prior to coronavirus, there broadly were two use cases. One was remote communities um, and last mile delivery. So it could be e-commerce, postal mail, medical supplies, really anything, even oil and gas or, or, uh, or mining projects, anything where the dis- it's, there's a great distance and hard to reach. And the other use case was time was of the essence. Mm. So maybe you can get there, but I can get there faster with the drone. So mm. we have been working with First Nations communities and, and the government and healthcare, but the pandemic has certainly accelerated this and uh, raised the profile of the of the company and the and the industry as a result of it being a perfect fit for these use cases. Yeah. So so again, th- it, was this something though that that you thought of as a as a use for the for the drones? Is that something that that anybody would have would have considered prior to this? Yes, absolutely. First Nations communities were really how the company started when we started. Maybe I guess six years ago now. Uh, when we started talking to the government about what we were planning to do, First Nations communities and Inuit and Métis communities who were remote uh, would benefit from drone delivery. So this was part of the original uh, founding of the of the company as a use case. Yeah, I guess what I'm what I'm referring to though is the idea that it could be used for limiting person to person contact. That's what I was kind of referring to. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that limiting person to person contact is really more something that came to light because of the pandemic. Right. So you're right. We did not anticipate that. Um, but it's something that I think is uh, going to last for a while. Sure. Um, and uh, there's other use cases related to disaster recovery mm. and, and business continuity that companies are looking at. But originally, before the pandemic, the use cases were uh, remote uh, locations and, and time is of the essence. So this is this is new, limiting person-to-person contact drones. You know, speaking of that, you're you're in partnership with a number of other people on this. Yes, it was really Global Medic who engaged us to implement this project at Beausoleil. They are a not-for-profit uh, global humanitarian uh, organization, and uh, they received funding from another um, a number of organizations, including. Uh, OEC Group, which is a very large logistics company. So we're grateful to OEC Group and grateful to Global Medic. And uh, yeah, they engaged us to to build out this uh, project and uh, we expect to be flying in July. So we'll see some great uh, social, economic and humanitarian value to the community. Uh, now, I, I noticed on the website again that you are you, you're also uh, delivering to another First Nation. Uh, is that still happening? So the other project is Moose Cree First Nations. Right. Uh, we did a proof of concept project there uh, a while ago just to uh, prove the efficacy of, a, of such a system. That was very successful. We worked with Transport Canada and a number of organizations with the government. And uh, the community has applied for funding for this project. Uh, they received one of the grants and we're just anticipating uh, the other grant coming from the federal government hopefully soon.
And what are the uh, what are the First Nations saying? And well, I met. So, is the, the Beaujolais First Nation has that initiated yet? So we've signed the contract. We uh, will be implementing in June, and with Beaujolais, we'll be flying probably middle third week of July. And uh, with the with the the other First Nation uh, Moose Factory, have they? How, what are they saying about this so far? So it's not flying uh, today at Moose Factory. We did approve a concept. Okay. They're waiting for the final uh, grant from the government to be able to implement the project. Okay, but you did some testing there, or or not? Yes, we did a project. Um, it's over a year ago now. Uh, really, just approved the system. Yes. Um, proved the benefits to the community. We moved some blood tests. We moved repair parts. Uh, you know, e-commerce, these sort of things. So we did that project alongside the community, alongside the federal government, just to prove that it it could be done. Um, and everybody was happy with the results. So uh, they applied for a grant, and they're just waiting for the final approval. And we'll be able to implement that this year. And uh, I, I'm guessing Beaujolais is uh, is quite uh, excited about this idea. Yes, they are. I mean, there's, a, again, going to be great uh, social and economic and humanitarian value to the Beausoleil community. Uh, they're very excited and they're very uh, grateful for the opportunity to uh, have this project sponsored by Global Medic and OEC Group. And they're looking forward to it because they really want to limit person to person contact. They've not had any uh, instances of the virus on the island um, and they want to limit uh, use of the ferry but they want to keep the supply chain open. So this is a perfect solution. And and um, the for people that don't know, Beaujolais is just up around uh, Midland, Honey Harbor area there, correct? Right, exactly. Just, uh, I think, northwest of Midland, not very far. And how long is the flight for the, for the drone across? It's about four kilometers, so it's a fairly short flight. Uh, it's all over water mm -hmm. um, from the mainland... Uh, wharf area to the island wharf area and um yeah it's just four kilometers but you know over water four kilometers makes a difference if mm. you uh if you don't have a ferry service so they want to keep right. the supply chain open sure and what what kind of uh weather weather conditions might it encounter you mentioned over water i imagine there's there's more winds to, that you might encounter in an open area like that as well yeah, so we can fly in uh, in moderate winds. We can fly at night. We can fly during the day, rain, snow. We also have weather stations on the uh, on the drone spot depots that we mm. fly between. We fly a depot to depot, mm -hmm. um, and there's weather stations. There's uh, aircraft monitoring system. So we're really in control of the environment, and and uh, we know how to deal with the weather. We've been flying thousands and thousands of flights so this is this is nothing new but yeah weather is a is a factor just like anything in aviation mm -hmm. you're listening to element fm in toronto and ottawa 95.7 in ottawa 106.5 in toronto anywhere across the country if you download the radio player canada app type in those coordinates and e-l-m-n-t-f-m and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day seven days a week and my guest is michael czar he's the president and ceo of drone delivery canada a fairly new uh, company uh, but that is making Making some some quick uh, inroads and uh, proving their worth in terms of being, uh, 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 if I'm not mistaken, uh, Michael, Drone Delivery Canada is is, uh, is is really sort of one of the one of the first companies to be able to uh, in the world in terms of, of this kind of technology and, and proving that it's it's working well. 
Yes, I would definitely say we're one of the leaders in the world. We've had a lot of firsts. This is the first in Canada for a, a COVID-19 project. And uh, yeah, we're very excited to be uh, one of the major leaders globally. And your partner, uh, Global Medic, uh, they are, they're also uh, been around for a long time and in doing this, this type of uh, uh, bringing aid to, to communities, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's exactly what they focus on. They bring aid uh, and humanitarian aid uh, in the event of uh, a disaster, national disaster, pandemic, and these sort of things. So it was a good fit uh, for us to work together with them on this first project and, and hopefully more projects with them uh, globally. Now, I also noticed that the Pontiac Group is, is mentioned in here. Uh, what's their involvement? So the Pontiac Group is a First Nations group uh, that works with Air Canada. Air Canada is a uh, is a reseller of our system. Mm. Uh, they are our commercial partner. Um, so Pontiac Group is uh, the company that focuses on First Nations, uh, Inuit, and Métis uh, Aboriginal uh, communities uh, in Canada to uh, to identify needs uh, that we can serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've I've known the guys. I've met them a couple of times over the years. So it's it's nice to okay. see they're involved. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about uh, looking to the to the future for what you're you're uh, you're developing and looking at? So we've had a significant increase in activity from uh, First Nations communities uh, for the reasons that we talked about in terms of self isolating, limiting person to person contact, and wanting to keep the supply chain open. We've also had a lot of uh, inquiries and, and working on a number of uh, of opportunities in our sales funnel uh, within healthcare as well, uh, broadly defined as hospitals or medical labs or pharmacies or, or pharmaceutical manufacturers, and then also working with the provincial and federal government on opportunities they've identified where we can help. So uh, this is quite broad uh, across Canada and, and you know people are concerned. Um, people are concerned about a second or a third wave. So mm-hmm. everybody really wants to get the get things under control now. So, you know, this is a perfect way to limit person-to-person contact. Mm. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, when does a drone uh, become sort of not not um, advantageous in terms of transporting goods? And what I was thinking of is, I was going, you've got the three sizes that you have now, Is there? and I was going, I wonder if they're thinking about building something larger than that. But uh, you, we've also got planes and, you know, freight to air and then all those kind of things that can transport items as well. At what, what point would you say, is there a cutoff point for, for a size of a drone that it still makes it practical to operate? So our, our intent really is not to replace uh, existing transportation methods on mass. I mean, uh, you know, there are large trucks and there are trains mm-hmm. and there are massive uh, cargo airplanes. We won't be replacing those anytime soon. Right. But we are working on aircraft that will be able to carry a larger load and even greater distances. So um, can't get into a lot of detail, but we are working on one. And it's a few years away. We're mm. working on one that could potentially take a 40-foot container. So mm. there is capacity to... Uh, to really transform the industry, but uh, we won't be replacing um, the traditional industry uh, generally. For sure. No, I, I, I didn't think that was uh, that was the case at all. Um, I guess the other side of this, and I don't know if you're looking at this or if you're going to be focusing more on transporting of goods, but I imagine there's also a, a commercial viability uh, for this for, for person-to-person transportation. Yes. I mean, uh, if you look at how the industry has evolved, and, and we're not just building the company, we're, we're building the industry mm. being, being one of the major leaders. So 
uh, we, we have a good idea of where it's going. But if you look at you know, how it's evolved, it started off as, as remote and then rural, now suburban, uh, mostly business to business, B2B applications. Consumer applications you know, will come down the road uh, in greater density areas. Uh, and then you'll see the transportation of people. That's that's still a few years away based sure. on the regulatory environment, uh, moving people in, in unmanned drones. But there are some pilots being done in, in Dubai, pilots being done in China uh, with unmanned taxis. So we will see it in the next few years. Right. And and um, with uh, Drone Delivery Canada, uh, your head office, uh, and as you pointed out, uh, your 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 office where you where you monitor the drones is in Vaughan. That's right, in Vaughan, just outside the uh, city. Yeah. So, um, can can you give us a sense of what the, the 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 people monitoring these drones? What kind of training do they need to go through? That's an interesting question because uh, these jobs don't exist. This operations control center room, um, if anybody has ever uh, come for a visit, it's very NASA-like. Uh, it's very unprecedented globally. So a lot of these uh, roles really don't exist. So we've developed our own curriculum. We've developed our own uh, skills set and, and job descriptions. Uh, so we have our own in-house training. We have something called Drone Delivery Canada University where we do all the <laughs> training. Uh, but the profile is interesting. I mean, some have aviation backgrounds, <laughs> um, but our operators can handle um, 50 drones simultaneously. So some yeah. have more of a gamer background. So it's, it's a very <laughs> novel type role. And... Uh, it's evolving as we as we you know bring these folks on board and, and train them. But it's a it's a combination of aviation plus somebody who can handle multiple things simultaneously on a screen. So even a gamer. That that is really interesting. Um, so so can you can you give a little bit more of a description of uh, if if someone is out there maybe listening and goes, hey, this sounds like something I might like to check out. Wh- what are you looking for from a person that would be you know that that would want to apply or or that you might hire then. So we have a variety of jobs that are open. Some are in the field for field engineers and, and safety pilots. And then uh, as we're talking, we have some uh, openings for uh, for operators and, and ground handlers in our operations control center. So really somebody who um, you know has a bit of a technical background. They don't necessarily have to be an engineer for sure. Uh, maybe has a good familiarity with aviation, although they don't have to have their, uh, their hobbyist pilot license. Um, is very comfortable with computers, uh, is very comfortable handling, you know, multiple things simultaneously. Um, and what they're doing is they're monitoring up to 50 routes uh, simultaneously. And again, if there's an issue in the airspace uh, related to another aircraft having an emergency, uh, they can then take control and do whatever they need to do to deconflict the uh, the situation. So they need to be you know, good under pressure. It's not exactly an air traffic control type job, but they mm-hmm. can be able to handle multiple things and, and handle pressure and, and these sort of things. So mm. it's, a, it's, it's an interesting profile. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, now, as this as this grows, uh, the company grows and, and unfolds, um, uh, I was wondering about the manufacturing of these things. Are they are they made in Canada? Whereabouts do you go to get your, your parts and your and build these these drones? So the intellectual property is all ours and it's patented. So mm-hmm. the drones are our uh, design and, um, and we manufacture them here. Uh, we do have the ability to outsource the manufacturing to a few Canadian companies that we've already established relationships with. Um, for the most part, um, the designs and, and everything are ours, as I said, but obviously there are components that we outsource 
or, or purchase from third parties. Mm. Things like batteries, you know, I, I don't want to be a battery expert. There are sure. people who are evolving that technology and will benefit from that uh, and their work. So um, there are components that we buy from from third parties, whether in the U.S. or or other countries. Uh, so we've got a very strong supply chain on on those components, and uh, for the most part, uh, build it ourselves. Mm. Well, well done. That's that's great. Congratulations to you and the organization. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's a it's a great Canadian success story. It certainly is. We wish you all the best. Uh, is there just before we go? Is there anything we haven't touched on, uh, even around the COVID nineteen projects that you're working on that we haven't discussed that you think is important to mention? Yeah, I mean, we expect more to come. Uh, as I said, we're working on a number of opportunities. It's been very, uh, it's been very exciting that we can provide social and economic and humanitarian aid to these communities, and we hope to see more. If people want more information on what we're doing, they can either look at us at uh, www. Uh, dronedeliverycanada.com or we're publicly traded on the TSXV under ticker symbol FLT and mm. uh, they can find us there as well. Excellent. That's great, Michael. Once again, congratulations and all the best uh, to you and the organization uh, in the coming future. And, you know, if there's further developments, uh, big news to, to spread, please uh, let us know. We'd be happy to, to get that on the air and talk with you further. Absolutely. There'll definitely be more to come. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, It's been a pleasure. That's Michael Zara. He's the uh, president and CEO of Drone Delivery Canada. Uh, one of the announcements they just have is uh, with uh, delivering uh, COVID-19 uh, essentials to uh, First Nations, and in particular, the Beaujolais First Nation, just uh, up uh, southern Ontario, sort of, sort of you know, up around the Honey Harbor Midland area in Ontario. Congratulations to them on that. And that wraps up the show for today as well. So we appreciate you, our listeners, listening. We'll see you next time right here on Moment of Truth. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.